Hey, if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and find 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It's good to see all of you. We are here together on Palm Sunday, uh, which is the beginning of Holy Week. And I would encourage you, um, if you are connected to the internet at all, which I imagine the majority of you are, uh, throughout the week, you're going to see uh, Lakeview's uh, social media stuff is going to push out some devotionals that some of the pastors have gotten together to record. Greg Key spearheaded that uh, last week. I think he did a wonderful job, and I think they'll be really helpful to you as you think through the week that we have every year between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, the week of Christ's uh, movement towards the cross and the resurrection. So uh, I'll just encourage you, uh, as we think about the Holy Week, as we think about Palm Sunday, uh, Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, that yeah, if you think about it this, this week, you may want to catch those videos and, and be encouraged and be um, reminded just of, of the Lord's goodness in some different ways. We are not talking about that this morning, however. This morning, we are talking about divine illumination, divine illumination. And I'll just tell you up front, my original intention was to teach this uh, two Wednesdays ago, but we canceled because of weather uh, that thankfully turned out to be not as bad here as we thought. But uh, regardless, we missed out on that Wednesday night. And so I have just felt compelled ever since then that I still feel as though you need to hear this. We need to learn this together uh, because I think it's just vitally important. Psalm 119 verse 18 says this, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. The psalmist says to the Lord, open my eyes. Why? So that I may behold, see, delight in, understand wondrous things out of your law. This semester, especially on Wednesday nights, but but every semester really, we, we gather together to learn from God's Word. And specifically in equipping groups on Wednesday nights, we've been learning how to study the Bible, this Word of God inspired by the Spirit. And so you don't have to raise your hand, uh, but just hopefully you can agree internally. Uh, Isn't it hard to study the Bible? Isn't it difficult to regularly get with the Scriptures and to read and study and ask good questions and seek understanding? Specifically this semester, if you're a part of equipping groups, has it been difficult for you week in and week out to go to a new book, a new text, a new genre, a new context, a new set of questions, uh, or the same set of questions, but a new set of answers to those questions every time you go to the Bible? It's hard. It's really hard. And my fear is uh, difficulty means don't do it for many of us. So just anecdotally, as I've walked around some of our small groups on Wednesday nights, I've I've noticed that there are plenty of us who have not studied. There there are plenty of us who have not spent time in those texts, have not spent time studying the Word. And that's not just for people in equipping groups. I mean, all of us have this problem. All of us struggle to study Scripture. All of us struggle with consistency. The the question I want to talk about is, why? Why is it so hard for us to study the Bible? Well, there are plenty of reasons for this, and we'll talk about all of these today. First, we're just not very familiar with Scripture. 
I mean, it's difficult for you to jump into the book of Ezekiel if you don't understand what the story of the Bible really is about. And so it's really hard for you to find the kind of some bearings to locate yourself and to locate this story. It's like trying to retell a movie that you watched with the sound turned off. And then you took a phone call halfway through and missed 45 minutes. Right? And then somebody afterwards says, hey, tell me what that movie's about. Can you, can you tell me? And you're like, oh, man, I mean, I saw some things and like there's some people and there's some conversations and there's some action and then I missed a bunch and I don't really know what anybody said. I mean, you, you're not able to recount what it really means because you're not familiar. Second, we're trying to study the Bible in our own power. We're trying to come to the scriptures with our own intellect, our own discipline, our own strength, our own cleverness, our own willpower. And we have found, if you if were honest, all of us have found at one point or another, that is insufficient. That's not going to get us really valuable things from the scripture. Many of us are rich in what this passage is going to call worldly wisdom. But ultimately, this will be insufficient for the task of understanding God's word. Third, why is it so hard for us to study the Bible? It's because it's hard. It's hard. People devote their whole lives to not just understanding this book, right? Some scholars will devote their whole lives to trying to understand just one book out of 66, right? Or one author, right? There are are Pauline scholars, who, what do they do day in and day out? They read what Paul wrote and they read about people who wrote about Paul. That's all they do. And they'll go to the end of their lives with probably more questions than answers. It's hard. The, the truths that we find in Scripture are eternal, God-given realities that we're talking about. Some of the most studied works in all of human history are in this book. I mean, you guys in your English classes are reading people like Shakespeare, right? Or you'll read uh, um, just classic novels, right? Things that you are uh, inundated with as a normal part of curriculum. And, And that's something that's very common to different people. But throughout history, for thousands of years, this has been a kind of curricula that people have studied and studied and studied. So it's lack of familiarity, it's working in our own power, it's hard, and finally, and my greatest fear for us this morning, my greatest fear, why is it so hard for you to study the scripture? Because you're not convinced that it really matters. It's hard for you to spend time studying the Bible when the Bible doesn't really seem relevant to your life. So you won't put in a ton of time or effort into it because honestly, you're just not interested. You're just not interested in coming to the scriptures and trying to learn what God has for you to understand. So today, I want us to look at Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and think together for a little bit about the role of the Spirit in our Bible study. That's the Topic of our sermon this morning, divine illumination, that the Spirit of God has to illuminate, brighten up, show and reveal uh, so that your sight might be used to understand God's Word. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Paul writes, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. 
None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Let's pray before we go any further. Oh God in heaven, I pray that you might give me words to speak and that you might give our students and our leaders ears to hear so that we might behold and be transformed by the power of your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us eyes to see just as we read in this text so that we might understand your truth, the truth. And that we might see it as unimaginably, incomparably valuable to us. Help us to look at ourselves honestly and rightly as we think about our relationship to Scripture. And Lord, again, we just confess our dependence on you this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's three big ideas in this text. And the first section in verses 6 through 10, what we just read, is going to reveal to us this. The wisdom from the Spirit is superior to the wisdom of the world. Wisdom from the Spirit is superior to the wisdom of the world. As we walk through this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we're going to see that the wisdom that comes from the Spirit is necessary for you and me to follow Christ. So in this first section, we see it compared to the wisdom of the world. Some of us are well acquainted with worldly wisdom. Wisdom of this age, as Paul says, or the rulers of this age. That would be the the wisdom of our culture or those in authority or having influence in our culture. So maybe for you, a person of wisdom would be somebody on Instagram or somebody you follow on YouTube, or maybe it's a politician that you and your family has responded to well. Maybe it's a sports team that you follow uh, religiously or a radio host or any number of people could be for you the source of the wisdom of this age. And any number of people for you could be the rulers of this age. The fact is, students, we situate ourselves in a story that helps us make sense of the world. I mean, you and I as human, human beings, we, we long for comprehension. We want to understand the world. We're naturally curious about things, and we want things to make sense. And there are many guides around us, many guides, who try to persuade us to believe, either explicitly or implicitly, that their version of the story of reality is the true version. So if you follow a sports team, or a radio host, or a YouTube influencer, or somebody on Instagram, you will start to listen not just to what they say about things, but where they are when they say it, how they say it, what it makes them feel like when they say it, what it makes you feel like when they say it. When you receive information from these sources of wisdom, it helps you in some way make sense of the world around you. And and some of the best, best, most effective influencers in our world will start to ask questions to you that you didn't even know to ask. But once you hear that question, you go, 
yeah, I have wondered that. I have wondered why the world is this way. I have wondered why these things happen. And the answers that they give you seem to be this, this hidden wisdom, this hidden knowledge that you've longed for, but you don't know that you've longed for it. But those who speak of God as revealed in Scripture don't speak of what they know. They speak of what has been revealed to them by the creator of reality. God's story, seen most clearly in Scripture, is the true story. God has decreed that those who are followers of Christ would live in the story for their glory, as Paul says in verse 7. That we receive this wisdom, we receive this knowledge from God for our glory. So that we might turn and reflect to the world the glory of God. This is a story that the rulers of the world do not speak of, nor do they understand it, Paul says, because if they did, they wouldn't have crucified Christ. They would have understood, here is your king. They wouldn't kill the king. So perhaps studying the Bible is really hard because you see yourself not in the story of reality, not in the story that God has revealed, but in another story. You've located yourself in a kind of fantasy that isn't real. It may be helpful to you in some ways, but it isn't real. Maybe you're more fluent in the language of the world than the language of Scripture. And let me just say this, not to to make you feel bad, but to encourage you to say, we all start somewhere. All of us have come from the world. All of us were children of wrath, Paul says in another letter. Christians all come from a place of ignorance and unknowing, but notice verses 9 and 10. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. But the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. In other words, when you and I hear the gospel, that you're a sinner and that you deserve judgment for your sin. And there's a king who is holy and righteous and good and will not clear the guilty but makes a way for you in Christ. That he, the Lord Jesus, comes to live a perfect life on your behalf, dies a death in your place as a substitute, rises from the grave for justification. And now if we would believe in him and his finished work, if we would declare that Christ is our Lord and Savior, if we, as Paul says in Romans, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you actually see that and believe that, the Spirit is revealing to you knowledge that you would not have received any other way. And so the story of the Christian life then is a story of becoming acclimated to a new reality. The real story. Not the stories that the world has offered to us through their wisdom, but the story of reality that God has revealed in His Word. We all start somewhere. It's always been hard for all of us to understand this story, but we press on because we now have the Spirit. God has prepared wonderful things for us to behold, but we only receive them through the Spirit. He is the active agent in our understanding of reality. So the wisdom that comes from the Spirit is far superior to the wisdom of the world because the wisdom of the world is a cheap imitation of the real thing. It will pass away. 
Influencers will pass away. Social media will pass away. Sports teams will pass away. Politicians, political parties will pass away. Nations will pass away. God's word is forever. And just to be clear, perhaps diving into scripture for yourself, as many of you perhaps have done with more intentionality this semester than ever before in your life, perhaps diving into scripture for yourself is hard because it's precisely the thing the enemy of this world does not want you to do. I mean, we have an enemy, students, who seeks to kill and destroy. He's prowling around like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And if you're a believer who is trying to follow Christ and understanding his word, you can be sure that there is now a target on your back. I mean, complacent Christians who don't talk about their faith, who don't long to grow in holiness, who don't long to share the gospel with other people, who don't want to invest themselves in the body of Christ, the devil doesn't really have to worry about people like that. But a young person who says, I want to get serious about my life and I want to devote my energy and my time to understanding this word and I want to devote my life to the body of Christ and I want to be intentional about understanding the scripture so that I might be a faithful follower of Christ and grow in my holiness and Christ-likeness in this world. That terrifies him. Because there's a kind of power there that he is not able to stop. So you can be sure that it will be hard for you. And you can be sure that that difficulty may be a sign of faithfulness. So the wisdom from the Spirit, superior to the wisdom of the world. Not only that, wisdom from the Spirit, number two, is freely given from God. Wisdom from the Spirit is freely given from God. Brother Al uh, has a, a, say a famous quote. It may not be famous to you, but it's famous to me, where he says something to the effect of, I know how much of the Spirit you have. Without a doubt, I know exactly how much of the Spirit you have compared to anybody else. The answer is you have as much as you want. How much of the Spirit do you have? How how much are you living in the fullness of the Spirit? As much as you want. It isn't isn't an obstacle that is is behind a gate with a lock on it that you now have to un. Uh, you have to solve the code and unlock the, unlock the lock to actually access it. No, it's, it's available to you. Look at 1 Corinthians 2, starting in verse 11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So what's going on in these verses? This, at its core, is the idea, the doctrine of divine illumination. Basically, when you and I receive the Spirit of Christ, when we become a Christian, we do so through His previous work of regeneration, right? The Spirit is the one who gives us new hearts, hearts of flesh instead of hearts of stone. And when He gives us new hearts, when He regenerates us, when He makes us a new creation, we now have 
eyes that are no longer blinded by sin completely, but eyes that can see and behold the glory of Christ. We were blind and now we see. We've gone from death to life. And so as recipients of the Spirit who now indwells in us permanently, we continue to be utterly dependent on the Spirit for progression in this life, also known as sanctification. Do you want to be more like Christ? You need the Spirit. Do you want to understand the things of God? You need the Spirit. Do you want to be a faithful witness of the gospel? You need the Spirit. Our spiritual disciplines, reading the Bible, studying the Bible, praying to the Lord, memorizing Scripture, sharing our faith, fasting, these things are not merely concerned with increasing our spiritual life. They are dependent on the Spirit's work. Listen to John Murray. He says, God's working in us is not suspended because we work, nor our working suspended because God works. Neither is the relation strictly one of cooperation, as if God did his part and we did ours, so that the conjunction or coordination of both produced the required result. God works in us, and we also work. But the relation is that because God works, we work. The more persistently active we are in working, the more persuaded we may be that all the energizing grace and power is of God. There's a lot in that quote, but the point is this. Students, if you are struggling and fighting and clawing and moving at a crawl to get more and more of Jesus, if you are fighting and struggling and toiling to understand the scriptures and it's hard from you for you, but you know that it's for your good, you know that it's valuable to you and you keep going on and you feel like I'm only going at a snail's pace and I see other people around me that seem to be sprinting, your discipline to stay with it is completely the result of a spirit who has not given up on you and will not give up on you. It isn't to say, man, aren't I awesome that I understand these things? Aren't I incredible that I've actually done the work of studying the scripture? Aren't I wonderful and shouldn't I be proud in comparison to the other students who don't take this seriously? I take it seriously. There's no room for this in the Christian life because the only reason that you were faithful to God's commands is because the spirit empowered you to be faithful. Pride for us should be an impossibility because it isn't us who's accomplished anything. We believe that salvation is all of grace. But we've been given a task to search the scriptures, to understand God's word. So this section shows us that the spirit of God, who is God here in 1 Corinthians 2, the spirit knows God's mind because the spirit is the spirit of God. And he is the one who reveals those thoughts to us. So let's just give an example. What are you thinking about right now? I could ask every one of you and it would always prove my point. You could have been thinking about tacos, right? Like you could have been thinking about, man, I gotta, I don't know how I'm gonna get this yard cut because every time I think about cutting the grass, it rains. 
right? Bless up. That's where I'm at right now. Right? How do I know what Drew is thinking? He has to tell me. He has to reveal it to me. I don't have access to his mind. So students, don't miss this. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Who knows the mind of God? The Spirit of God. When can you learn about the mind of God? Whenever you want. Why? Because you have the Spirit. The Spirit is always with you, always ready to reveal more about who God is, always ready to reveal more of what He's said in His Word, always ready to reveal how those truths might apply to your life. If you would ask Him, He would reveal. So some of us find Bible study hard because you're trying to interpret Scripture and apply it to your life apart from the work of the Spirit who knows the mind of God. You're working in your own strength. So you go to this book and you say, I understand the English language, but I don't understand what this means. It's because you're trying to do these things in your own power. You're working in your own strength. We constantly need the Spirit to help us see the truth of Scripture. We need to not just diligently study We need to faithfully study. And I use that word intentionally, full of faith. Faithfully study scripture. Not just comprehension that I understand what verse two says. Not just assent that it's true, that because it's the Bible, I believe it. But a loving trust and reception of that truth for your own life as supremely valuable. You need the spirit and the spirit freely gives. So, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But, verse 6 of James 1, let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man unstable in all his ways. We ask the Lord for wisdom, but we ask it with faith, believing that God, you really do know the mind of God because you are God. Remember, like I said before, some of this is really hard stuff. It's it's big concepts, complex ideas, world-shifting truths. If you believe what this book says, your life will not look the same. We're not trying to learn all the answers in one day. So it's not, like, it's not like we're saying to the Spirit, Holy Spirit, will you please just download all of the information that I need so that I can access it later? That's not how it works. We're not, we're not, we're not talking to a computer. Don't think of God's omniscience as like a really big computer, that he knows all things exhaustively. You're talking to a person. And how do I get to know a person? It takes time. It takes time. It takes intention. It takes conversation. Me hearing his word from scripture, me speaking back to him in prayer. But over time, that relationship cultivates. I learn more about who that person is. I begin to ask more pertinent and accurate questions because I've understood previously what they've already revealed. This will take your whole life. And then that will just be the prologue. And then it will take forever. And then you won't be done. And that might sound overwhelming to you. 
but it's incredibly beautiful and incredibly encouraging and incredibly delightful that the thing that you ought to treasure the most will never be exhausted in your mind. You will always and forever, for the rest of eternity, begin and continue to learn new things about how wonderful God is, about how glorious God is, about how much he loves you, about how much grace he's poured out on your life, about how much he's sustained you in difficult times, about all of the ways that he orchestrated your life for your good that you didn't understand before. You will never run out of things to be captivated by when it comes to the Lord. Here's the beauty of this passage. If you have the Spirit and He knows the thoughts of God, how much of God's thought can you know? It's the same thing Brother Al said, as much as you want. God has truly revealed Himself to us in creation. We look at the world and we say, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. When we look at the world, when I, last night I was taking out the trash and the moon was so full, so big. It was like, I didn't, we didn't need street lights in my neighborhood last night. And I just thought, that light is a reflection from the sun. That light isn't even the moon's. It's reflected light. And I thought, that's who I am. I'm reflected light. I was made in God's image. I reflect the light that comes from God, the radiance of the glory of God that's found in Christ. When I look at creation, I can see things and understand things about spiritual truths because I have the Spirit. But most clearly, God has revealed Himself, not in creation, but in His Word. And if you want to know who God is, you have the Scriptures in front of you and you have the Spirit inside you. You can know as much as you want. We can follow the leadership of the Spirit as He guides us into all truth. But as we move to the final section of our text, we need to be warned. For some of us, studying the Scripture is hard, not because we're working in our own strength, not because it's complex, not because we're just not familiar with the story, and not because we have an enemy who doesn't want us to understand. It's hard for some of you to understand the scripture because you're still blind. So the third point for today is that wisdom from the spirit is foolishness to the lost. It's foolishness to the lost. Look at verse 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Paul tells us in this passage that there are two kinds of people, period. There are natural persons and spiritual persons. The natural person thinks that the things of God, spiritual things, are folly. They're foolish. They're worthless. They're not worth my time. They're not worth my effort. They're not worth losing any kind of status before others. But for the spiritual person, that is the one who has the Spirit, they are able to discern and understand the things of the Spirit. We have, Paul says, the mind of Christ. It's just a, another way of saying what he said in verses 11 through 13. You have the Spirit who understands everything about God because He is God. 
We have access to the mind of God via the Spirit of God. Again, this is the beautiful gift of illumination. Listen to Jonathan Edwards talk about this idea. The difference between perhaps a natural person who may comprehend what this book says and a spiritual person who who discerns what it means and understands it and delights in it. He says, there is a divine and a superlative glory, incomparable glory in these things. An excellence that is of a vastly higher kind and a more sublime nature than in other things. A glory greatly distinguishing them from all that is earthly and temporal. He that is spiritually enlightened truly apprehends and sees it or has a sense of it. He does not merely rationally believe that God is glorious, but he has a sense of the gloriousness of God in his heart. There's not only a rational belief that God is holy and holiness is a good thing. There's a sense of the loveliness of God's holiness. There's not only a speculatively judging that God is gracious, but a sense of how worthy of love God is on account of the beauty of that divine attribute. Do you see the difference? The natural person would be able to say in this text, God is saying through the Apostle Paul that God is like this. He is able to regurgitate information. But it's folly to him. It doesn't matter to him. It's not meaningful to her. But for the spiritual person, we read about God's grace and we go, how have I deserved this? How have I received God's love? How is it possible that I would comprehend that the holy God loves me? And and I'm thinking immediately about all of the things in my life that are not in congruence with that truth. What kind of things do I do in my life that would dishonor the holiness of God, that would spurn God's love and his grace? That's a person for whom the things of God are not folly their treasure, their wisdom, they're valuable. Many of us in the room, many of us in this church, know facts about God. We know facts about His Word. But do they stir our affections? We can't articulate what's going on in our souls quite like Edwards. I mean, Jonathan Edwards, by many, would say, the greatest mind that America has produced. But can we relate to what he said? Can we we interpret and can we internalize the truths that he's communicating? Do we respond to God's revelation with worship and obedience? Or with ambivalence? Do we think and long to know more fully the sweetness of our Savior? Or are we looking for lunch or dinner? Do we stop and meditate on the loveliness and beauty of God's holiness and His grace when we spend time with Him in His Word? Or do we get frustrated that we have to meet this obligation so that we don't be, we're not seen as less than in the eyes of other people who claim to love Jesus too. 
some of us in this room struggle to study scripture because of all the reasons we've mentioned earlier. You want to know Christ. You want to follow him faithfully. And there are so many real obstacles in your way. And so it's hard. But some of us struggle to study scripture because we're natural people. We struggle to study scripture because we're still blind. We struggle to study scripture because we do not have the spirit. If you can regurgitate facts about the gospel, but have no desire in yourself to submit to his word, no desire at all to depend on him in prayer, no real sense of your daily need for him, no hunger for his sustaining grace, no brightness in your eyes, in the eyes of your heart when you're confronted with his majesty, I'm telling you, you need to be really, really uncomfortable right now. And the wonder, the wonder of this passage is that the offer for the natural person still stands. You can have your blindness removed because the Spirit of God works through the Word of God to bring the work of Christ to bear on natural people. Cling to Christ. Do not believe the lie that a confession of your lostness will bring about shame. Don't believe the lie that if you are thinking to yourself, I don't have the spirit. Do not believe the lie that confessing that to somebody and to receive prayer and encouragement from somebody that you would long to know Christ, that you would long to trust in him, that you'd long to surrender your life to him. Do not believe for a second that the actual fruit of that confession is shame. It's not shame to declare your need for God. That's what the church is for. And the people of God who see someone who recognizes their need will not respond to them in shame. They'll respond in worship because the only way you could be aware of your need is because the spirit has done something impossible in your life. He's taken somebody who is dead and cold-hearted and blind and he has revealed something to you. It's not a cause for shame. It's a cause for joy. This is precisely the place for confession to take place. So think just for a moment about momentary vulnerability before others and what the alternative is, which is eternal bankruptcy and separation from God all so that you might keep your status here for a couple more decades. I'm not concerned about your life in 60 years. I'm concerned about your soul in 60 trillion years. And so I'm, I'm pleading with you to look at the word, to look at Christ, and to look at your own heart and plead with God to open your eyes so that you might see it really. And so that you might see the king in his beauty.
who offers life for those who deserve nothing but death. So look at the book and look and look and look. And over time, by the grace of God, your vision will adjust. You'll realize that the book that you've been looking at is alive. And it changes you. And it reads you. And it's able to separate soul from spirit, sword like a sword. I'm pleading with you. If you're a spiritual person who finds it hard to study scripture, cling to Christ. Ask the spirit. Pursue diligence. Find encouragement. It's worth it. And if you find yourself to be a natural person, plead with God all day, all week, all month, all year if you have to, that he might give you eyes to see rightly and so that he might take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh so that he might give you the spirit so that you don't have to look at the Bible with aloofness and frustration and rejection but with delight. Scripture is not in your mind like medicine that you hate to take, that you know it's good. Scripture is a feast that you get to enjoy as much as you want, that you get to delight in whenever you want. And yet this feast doesn't bring about problems. (laughs) It doesn't bring about indigestion. It doesn't bring about slowness. Now, the more you eat of this bread, the more life you have. Let's pray. Oh God, we need you. We need your spirit. We need your grace. We need your power. Pray that for every one of us in this room, that our eyes might be opened even wider to your glory. That we might really see and know that the offer stands for us to have as much of you as we want. And compared to the things of this world, the wisdom of this world, the rulers of this age, you are incomparably worthy, incomparably valuable, incomparably good, incomparably satisfying. The wisdom of this world, the rulers of this age, will not give our souls rest. There will always be more to do, always be more to say, always be more to change. But Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls. So Lord, I pray that that offer of rest would be used by your spirit. The word and the spirit would work together to unstop the ears of the natural persons in this room. That it might sink down deep into their soul. And that Holy Spirit, you might do miraculous work in them, even now, even right now in this moment. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.